Morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, so good to be back with you uh, after being gone for a powerful uh, two weeks in Tanzania and East Africa. You know, our team there saw absolutely miraculous, amazing things. Uh, between the 11 of us, uh, we were able to share the gospel personally with over 12,000 people, and we saw 461 people come to Christ. That's amazing. Um, Actually, what's even cooler is we were part of a larger mission there. So we went with our dear friend, uh, international evangelist, Sammy Wagnoni, his ministry, Shine. And there were hundreds of local churches that came together in a concentrated effort to reach their city. So we were going out in the marketplaces every day. They were going out. There was a huge crusade at the end of the week. Uh, together, we shared the gospel in seven days with over a half a million people. That's incredible. And so it's just amazing what the church of Jesus can do when it comes together as one. So it's pretty awesome to just see. You know, we just talked, Rachel just talked just a second ago about our financial offering. Uh, I got to tell you about the church that I attended last Sunday in Tanzania. So they were doing the offering. Now, in Africa, when you do the offering, uh, you don't give online. You actually get up out of your seat. You walk forward with your offering. And you bring it to the, you offer it to the altar, and they, they do multiple offerings. And so they start with their tithe, their 10%, and they'll get up out of their seat. They walk into the front, they'll give their tithe, and then they'll do their offerings. You ever heard the phrase, like, our tithes and offerings? So your tithe is like the 10%, the offering is whatever else they're going to give above and beyond that. They come and give that. And then the pastor gets up and he says, and we're doing another offering. I'm going, whoa. <laughs> right? And he says, we're taking a special offering today. And he says, we're going to take a special offering for the work of Jesus at Renovation Church in Minnesota. Oh. And these Tanzanians who don't have a lot very generously get up for the third time and they give to the work of what God is doing here in Blaine, Minnesota, USA. Because they too, listen, they too they want to be faithful. They want to be obedient to make disciples of all nations. And they wanted to be a part of what God is doing here, just as we wanted to be a part of what God is doing there. So I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in, in Tanzania. So it's pretty, pretty amazing to see. So. Uh, I am excited to be back with you as we are teaching through the book of Joshua. Uh, we had John Alexander and Justin Domino were here the last two weeks uh, teaching through Joshua uh, chapters 4 through 6. We are going to be on chapter 7 today. Uh, so everybody grab a Bible, whether you brought one with you or you're using the one here. Uh, grab something. Uh, we're going to be on page 149 if you're using the one here. So God has promised the land of Canaan to the Israelites. They were enslaved in Egypt, but now they've come to the promised land. Joshua, their leader, has led them into the promised land. In fact, uh, last week, uh, Justin Domino uh, taught on how the Lord actually gave them their first victory, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, right? But now we get to chapter 7, and they're actually going to struggle for the first time. Uh, God had told them when they were conquering Jericho, if you remember from chapter 6, that when they're going through the city, that they are not to take anything for themselves. All the precious metals were to go into the treasury of the Lord. Everything else essentially was to be destroyed in the fire, was to be burned. However, it doesn't work out that way. Here's what happens. So Joshua chapter 7, let's start uh, right at verse 1. Here's what it says. 
It says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. That's just the things that were either meant to go to the treasury of the Lord or to be burned up. It says, Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is a town, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel. So East Bethel. Did you know East Bethel is in the Bible? Look at that. Uh, And told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it. Do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people, the Israelites, melted in fear and became like water. Okay, let's stop there just for a second. Okay, so the Israelites, they enter the promised land. With the Lord's help, they conquer Jericho. No problem, right? So they're moving on to the next town on the map. Well, the next town on the map is this small town named Ai. And yet, when they go to conquer it, they're just routed in battle. In fact, 36 of them die. Now, it's not actually really about how many men they brought in their army. They could have brought 50,000 troops, and they would have had the exact same result. But they can't believe they lost, right? Because after Jericho, they're thinking, we're just going to waltz right through the promised land, and it's all going to be ours. But it doesn't work that way. So what's happening? Well, let's see how their leader Joshua responds. So uh, we left off at verse 6. Okay, it says, Then Joshua tore his clothes, that's a way that they mourned in that culture, and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. Again, they're sad, they're mourning. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? And so Joshua, he is confused, right? How in the world is this happening? Why is this happening? In fact, Joshua says, I'm even willing to go back across the Jordan and stay there if that will prevent your name, O Lord, from being further maligned. And so he just starts to pray and pray and pray, and he's going to pray his way through it. But look at how God responds. This is actually a bit shocking. Verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Okay, so God tells him, listen, the reason that you lost the battle is because there's sin in the camp, right? Even though God told them very specifically, when you go through the city of Jericho, none of the plunder is for you. Somebody, Achan, in this case, has taken the plunder for themselves. And God begins throughout this chapter now to teach them about sin. 
In fact, there's a lot of important things in this particular chapter that we learn as Christians about sin. And so, in fact, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through five important things that as followers of Christ we just need to know about sin. Listen, I just want to say as a preface, this is partly why, as a church, that we often teach through a book of the Bible. Because what pastor says, you know, you know what I bet people really want to hear a message on today? I bet they're pumped to come to church and hear about sin. Who's pumped for that, right? Nobody's going to naturally do that, but when you work your way through the Bible, here we are, Joshua chapter 7, it's a chapter that specifically is just about what we need to learn about sin. So that's what I need to teach on because that's what it's about. But I think the Lord knows that we need to learn some things about sin, okay? So that's what we're going to teach through. Okay, so five important things to know about sin. Here's the first one if you're taking notes from Joshua chapter 7. Sometimes prayer isn't enough. I actually think this is pretty fascinating. So what was the scene? Joshua, he's face down in prayer, right? What does God say to him in verse 10? You have it on your lap still? Yeah. Stand up. He says, get up. Stop praying. What? I mean, Joshua, he's doing what a lot of us would do. He's just, he's going to pray his way through. He's going to get on his knees. He's going to keep praying until he gets the result. And God's like, get up. Stop praying. See, Joshua didn't need to ask God to do something. The Israelites needed to do something. Like to see God move in their lives, they actually didn't need to pray more. They needed to deal with their sin. And my friend, I'm telling you, this may actually be your problem in your life right now. Now, this is a tension, okay? So we've got to kind of put our theological hats on here because Christians throughout history, and I would say even in certain denominations, have gotten this very, very, very wrong. But yes, I would tell you that if God is not answering some of your prayers right now, the sin in your life that you're holding on to may absolutely be the reason why. Part of the reason he's not answering may be because of the sin in your life. Now, the other part, and this is the tension, the other reason he may not be answering is because it just isn't in his will, okay? So this is a tension. It could be either. But I think lots of times nowadays, especially as kind of modern American Bible-believing Christians, we kind of go to this as this, it's the only answer. The reason the Lord isn't answering because I haven't prayed about it enough or it's just not in his will. But here we have a very clear example. In fact, I would say a very biblical example that sometimes God isn't answering your prayer simply because you haven't repented of your sin. I've heard Francis Chan tell the story a number of times that came to mind this week, where one time he was at a conference and a man came up to him and he said, Francis, would you just pray for me for healing? I've got this medical issue. I don't know if the guy had cancer or whatever. He just had some issue. He's like, I just, would you pray that the Lord would just move mightily in my life? And Francis said, yeah, I'll do that, but let's just first look at James chapter 5, which is an interesting thing to say to somebody, but he did. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. I'll put it on the screen. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see the connection between confession and healing. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He says, I'm about to pray for you, but I just want to ask you first, is there any sin in your life that you are just really holding on to that you haven't surrendered to the Lord? And they began to talk, and the guy said, you know what, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm sleeping with this woman that I'm not married to. And Francis Chan asked him, he said, let me ask you a question. If you were sleeping with one of my young adult daughters, would you have the guts to walk up to my face 
and ask me to bless you. So then why is it that you would walk up to God while you're doing that to one of his daughters and ask him to bless you? He said, you need to look at God and say, I don't just want to use you, I want to follow you. Do you see the difference? And lots of times we're just saying, I, I want, I'm gonna, God, I'm going to use you. I'm not going to follow you, but I need you to do this, this, and this. And God's saying, I'm not interested in that. I want you to follow me. So Francis Chan, this is intense, literally said to the guy, I'm not going to pray for you. Because it's literally not going to do anything. Until, until you repent, until you say, Lord, I'm not about using you. I'm about following you. I'm, I, I, I will live for you. Until you repent, God is going to look at you just like he looked at Joshua and said, get up. Get up. You can't just pray your way through this one. And so I would ask you today, church, if you've been asking God to move lately, have you first looked at your own sin? I just want you to think really hard about this this morning. What sin is there in your life that you just haven't surrendered to God? You haven't confessed it to him. You haven't given it to him. What is it? I know this is a super hard chapter, but think through that this morning as we continue to work through it. Okay, let's go to the next lesson uh, that we learn about sin in this chapter. Number two is this. You never sin in a vacuum. Okay, so Achan, he's going through the plunder. He steals, and we see that his sin affects the whole community, not just him. In fact, 36 people die expressly because of Achan's sin. Now, I think it's easy to read that story and say, well, that's not fair, right? Why do other people have to suffer for somebody else's sin? And I think we as Americans, we are very prone to reading this particular passage with that particular objection because our culture is not a collectivist culture where we think about the whole. Like on a spectrum of 200 or so countries, America is as individualistic as it gets. But here's the thing, you never sin in a vacuum. Every sin that we commit, it leaks out. So if, if one spouse is a substance abuser, it affects both of them. Okay, if one parent has a bad temper, it affects all the children. Even a very seemingly private sins, I'll take like viewing pornography, still affect other people. There have been actually plenty of studies published in the last uh, 10 years about how viewing pornography changes a person mentally, emotionally. And a lot of stuff has been published even about how it changes their ability or, or inability to engage in intimacy with their spouse. You never sin in a vacuum. And that's part of the reason that God is so serious about Achan's sin and about Achan's disobedience because God knows and he's teaching us here in his word that sin, our disobedience, it affects other people, not just us. And if you allow the sin that God is sort of calling forward to your mind this morning, if you allow it to fester, you allow it to remain, it will affect other people, not just you. Okay, the next lesson, and we, get, we learn a lot just in these few verses I read, kind of 10 through 13, or 10 through 12, whatever it is. The, the third lesson is this. The community 
must not tolerate sin. Now, a lot of these are countercultural, right? We don't talk about these things a lot in America, but this is what the Bible, God's word, teaches us. So that is the community. For them, it was the Israelites. Now, modern-day application for us, it would be uh, the church, but it may also be your house group. I think you could also say even like your close Christian friend group must not tolerate sin. So the Lord teaches often throughout the scriptures about the dangers of tolerating or accepting sin. I would say the Bible over from front to end, from beginning to end, communicates two main dangers of Christians tolerating sin. By looking at it and saying, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Two main dangers. And number one is if we never call out sin as sin, then outsiders will think that we accept that particular sin as normative or even acceptable to God if we never say anything against it. And the other thing, the other reason why God does not want us to tolerate sin as Christians is history has proven this over and over. When a group begins to tolerate sin, soon enough, sometimes it takes a full generation, but soon enough they also engage in that same sin. Uh, For example, there are many sins that the church, that Christians today tolerate as acceptable that 20 years ago weren't even considered, I mean, it would be shocking for the church to accept as tolerable. The road to sin always starts with tolerance. It's when the church says, or Christians say, you know what, that's not great. I don't think that's right, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Then eventually that sin becomes acceptable. And this is why in the New Testament, the Bible a number of times actually talks about the act of church discipline, which is something we almost never talk about in America, and yet you see it multiple times throughout the New Testament. A church discipline, if you're not familiar with that particular phrase, is the act of actually removing a Christian from a church fellowship, from a particular group or even a particular church, until they repent of their sins. And you see that in the Bible a number of times. In fact, read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this week if you want to learn more about that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll give you just kind of a high-level overview. The Corinthian Christians are tolerating a Christian in their midst that is engaging in a sexual immorality that I don't even want to mention uh, with children present in this room. And And the Corinthian Christians are doing nothing about it. They're just simply tolerating it. They're not saying anything, and that person's still coming to their fellowship every week. Nothing's happening. This is sort of like... Very Minnesotan of them, right? They're just, we'll just say nothing. That'll fix it, right? And Paul warns them. He says, listen, even a little yeast will leaven its way through the whole patch of dough. And then he closes out the chapter, verses 12 through 13, and look at what he says. This is a bit shocking to us. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? So all of you that are on social media and you're just yelling at every, all those non-Christians, he's saying, stop doing that. Right? It's not about outside the church. Then he says this, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Then he says, expel, cast out, remove the wicked person from among you. So actually the the discipline of church discipline, and this relates to what we see in Achan in the Old Testament, is if you have a person who's unrepentant. So church discipline is actually pretty rare because most of us when we sin, we actually do feel bad about it, right? And we want to change. We don't want to, and we're like, why do I, this is Romans 7, why do I keep doing what I do not want to do? But every once in a while, you get a person, kind of like you see in 1 Corinthians 5, 
who's almost boasting about their sin. Yeah, this is what I do. You should all accept this, and it's just fine. It's fine. And they keep coming to church every week saying, yeah, this is great. And the Bible says, no, that person can't be in your midst. Because then everybody else is going to think, that's what a Christian is. And then everyone else in the group eventually will start engaging in the same sins. The person actually has to, for the purity of the church, because God wants to set his people apart as holy, they actually have to be removed from the fellowship. And later in the chapter, you're going to see that Achan, this is here's Old Testament for you, is literally killed. He's stoned for his sin. God's making a very strong statement here at kind of the beginning stages of the promised land. And you know what's really interesting? Is God just the same thing again, even in the New Testament? So we're going to talk about violence in the Old Testament in a few weeks, but I'll just tell you, God sets a precedent even in the beginning. Even in the New Testament, there's a very similar sin, Acts chapter 5. Do you know it? Ananias and Sapphira? They actually kind of do the same thing. They lie. They hold money back from the church. Peter confronts them about it. What happens to them? Boom, they fall down dead right there. Now, what do you do then if you have someone in your house group, or maybe your close Christian friends from college, and they're just engaging in a perpetual sin? Please don't pick up a, a literal stone, okay? But what do, you, what do you actually do? If you have a friend who used to be really serious about Jesus, but now they haven't been to church in a year, or they're engaging in some serious substance abuse and you are watching it happen. Or they're literally just blowing up their marriage right now. What do you do? The biblical principle is we must not tolerate it. We must, we must, we must lovingly challenge our Christian brothers and sisters. Simply tolerating their sin, it will not bode well for you. It won't bode well for our Christian fellowship. And I just want to tell you, my fellow Minnesotans, you are not loving them by saying nothing. You're hurting them. We challenge them because we love them and because we know that Jesus has so much better for them. Okay, all right, let's keep reading. We've got to get to read to get to our next point. So we're at uh, verse 13 now. It says, In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. Oops, I skipped a verse. Verse 13. Go, consecrate the people. Tell themselves, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The, there are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward. And the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family, that's Zimri's family, come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Okay, so they narrow it down, and eventually Achan is seen as the one who actually stole the devoted things. But think about this. Go back to the scene when it actually happened, right? Everybody's running through a Jericho. It's kind of chaos, right? And you're Achan, 
and you see the things on the ground, right, that he's going to, we're going to find out what he steals in a little bit here. If you're him, what's going through your mind when you steal it? What are the lies that we tell ourselves when we sin? Some of them we've already covered, and I think that's why this chapter is so important. Even though it's hard, right, we go, well, this isn't going to affect anyone else. I think one of the other lies that we tell ourselves is we say, no one's going to know. I mean, really, no one's going to know. And yet, here's the fourth important thing that the Bible is teaching us about sin. Number four is this. No sin is secret. No sin is secret. What does the Bible say? Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for your ways, that's, that's us, for your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all of your paths. Okay, here's where it gets really hard. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, what, if, what if we took the next 10 minutes and you had to come on stage and all of your top 10 biggest sins were exposed in front of the whole room? For, for some of us, that might feel almost like a scandal, right? And yet, Bible commentator David Guzik, he reminds us of this very painful truth that we do not think about enough biblically, and it is this. It is hard to even read, but this is true. He says, secret sin on earth is an open scandal before God. So when we sin, and we fall for Satan's lie, and we say, no one knows, we forget the truth of Scripture that the king of heaven knows. He's watching it happen. Secret sin on earth is an open scandal in heaven. God is well aware. Well aware. And what Joshua 7 teaches us is that Achan, it doesn't matter that no one else saw it because God's hot. And Achan's not going to get away with it because God saw it. And I would say to you, my friend, whatever it is that you are hiding right now, and for some of you in a room this size, it may be an affair. It may be money that you stole from your company. It may be the way that you treat your kids when no one is looking. Whatever it is, I am, I'm telling you right now as a herald of God's truth, you are not hiding it from God. And its consequences will come forward. Achan could not hide. You cannot hide. Your sin is going to be found out. In God's timing, it will come to light. And so I urge you, I urge you, I urge you. As the New Testament says, you are to walk in the light. Come out of the darkness, you walk in the light as he is in the light. Let's keep reading because there's more that we need to, to, to see here. Verse 19, it says, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them, and they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. 
Here's the fifth thing I want to tell you that we learn in this passage about sin. The fifth thing is this. Confess before it gets worse. So Joshua, he urges Achan, confess, confess, confess. But we see, if you keep reading the chapter, it's too late. It's too late. And Achan is stoned. You know, every Bible scholar that I studied this week said part of what God was doing when they had that whole ordeal where he has all of Israel and he narrows it down by, okay, which tribe was it? And then they narrow it down, which clan within the tribe was it? This would have taken forever, by the way. Okay, which family within the clan was it? What God is doing is he's giving Achan time to confess his sin. Right? Achan knows it's him, right? And how nervous was he getting as he kept getting closer? Okay, it's my tribe. Oh, it's my clan. He knows it's him. God is giving him time to say, wait, stop, 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 stop. It's me. It was me. It was me. I did it. I confess. Forgive me. And it's this theme that you see from beginning to the end of the Bible is God gives us time to confess, to repent. And when we do, what is God, how does God respond? He just showers us with his mercy and forgiveness. But Achan gambles. He says, I got time. He's not going to catch me. No one's going to know. And he's wrong. And then the judgment, tragically, it falls on him. And so I urge you today, do not gamble like Achan. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Confess it to God. Confess it to others and then walk away from it. In fact, let me speak to two different groups of people. Firstly, let me speak to those of you that actually are followers of Jesus Christ. You're serious. You, you mean to follow Jesus. You are a Christian, a Christ follower. To those of you that are, are, are Christians, but you know that there's a sin in your life and you're holding on to it, and you know that it's not right. It is buried under your tent right now. You're the only one that knows about it. You know that these points from God's word are true. It's affecting your prayer life. It's eventually going to seep out on others. And its consequences will eventually come to bear. I beg of you, as your spiritual shepherd, I beg of you this morning, confess your sins before the consequences get worse. Now, the challenge is, like, sin has natural consequences. So if you confess to someone, some of you need to confess something to your spouse today. Some of you need to confess something uh, to a friend. Some of you in here, teenagers even, you need to confess something to your parents. And there may be some consequences to it. But the thing is, when you confess first, there are always less consequences to when you get caught, right? And so we confess before it gets worse. And you confess it to the Lord. And you allow him to just sort of remove that barrier that's been between you and him. Just say, Lord, I've been doing this. Father, forgive me. And I just say, whatever it is you're holding on to, it's not worth it compared to Jesus. No idol compares to Jesus. Remove it, confess it, come back to him. And know that when you come back to him, his grace is so deep. You cannot outsin the grace of God. It is so good. Yeah, he's serious about sin, okay? But his grace is so deep, it is so good. Confess it and let him forgive you, okay? Okay? Now, I want to speak to those of you 
To the few of you that might be in this room and you'd say, yeah, I'm not like a serious Christian or anything. I'm just more kind of interested in Jesus. I want to speak to you about this topic as well. But before I do that, we just want to take three or four minutes here and we want to tell you a story. So one of the things that we do about once a month in this church is we do a baptisms. In fact, I'm going to call the baptismal team on stage right now. And we're going to celebrate a baptism right here in the middle of this message because we need to hear the stories of grace, right? We talk about sin and God is serious about sin, but God is serious about grace too, okay? That's what we just love about God. He's not callous or casual about sin. And yet his grace even outdoes that. And so baptism is a visible demonstration that he washes it all away. Not because of what we did, but because of our faith. It's a symbol of that, that we, all of us, any of us, can be forgiven. And so anyone you see here, they're baptized by people who have had an impact on them, and we're just excited to share a story with you and then actually get to see a baptism. So, Danielle, you can... Good morning. My name is Danielle Lunt, and I've been a resident of Blaine since December of 2020, and I've been coming to Renovation Church since February of this year. Um, I was baptized as an infant and grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church, I remember sitting in church every Sunday as a child, but I never learned anything from attending these services. Life happened, I was growing up, and I stopped attending routinely. I dabbled here and there with attendance, most often attending church on major religious holidays like Easter and Christmas. I always considered myself Christian throughout my childhood and into my adult life, but I didn't do anything to pursue God, and I didn't truly have him in my life. Within the last year, I've had many tough life events occur which took an extreme toll on my mental health. I finally cracked and hit my rock bottom at the beginning of this year. I realized through all these events that he was calling me and pleading with me to walk with him, not away from him. God led me to Renovation Church where I gave myself over to Jesus and let him lead me instead of continuing to do it alone and follow my own path. Now I believe that through Christ alone, I am saved. I still do my best to do good, not sin, serve others, and spread the word of God. But at the end of the day, my belief in him and his sacrifice will save me. I understand now that God talks me through the gospel and that Jesus is not only my teacher, but my friend, and I find that very comforting. I'm so much happier and I found a new outlook on life. My purpose here on this earth is to glorify him. I look forward to eternal life with him and those who have passed before me. And I praise him in the good times and lean on him during the hard times. And this morning I have my mom, Donna, and Liz with me, who um, was my discipleship leader um, this spring. Amen. Are we just... You know, we believe, because of what we read in the Bible, that God is so good, so good that he sees even the secret sin. You know, like the sin that just like Achan that you took and you hid under the tent and said, no one's going to see this. He saw it. And here's the thing. Sometimes people in throughout church history preach that wrongly, and they say, he saw it, and God is mad, and he will... No, what the Bible says is, yeah, he saw it, and he's really serious about it. But even after seeing that, he said, I love them so much, I'll send my son to die in their place. You see that? That's, that's a seriousness about sin and an unparalleled love at the same time. That is God. You hid it under the tent of your life, and he said, I'm coming for you, and I will die for that sin. 
That's a God I want to follow. That he would love me that much. And he would let his son take the wrath that I deserve. It's amazing. But it is a gift. It isn't just applied to everyone. It's a gift that he has given you. Saying, if you, if you accept this, if you open this and say, please, just, just like Danielle just talked about, please forgive me. Come into my life. He washes it all away. But if you, like Achan, say, no, I don't believe that. I don't want to make you the leader of my life. I think I'll figure this out. Then, yeah, then the punishment, like Achan, then it comes on you. And I just beg of you, don't let that happen. Do not take the Achan mentality in your life where you say, I still have more time. Because some of you right now in your head, you've been going, I got to stop this. I got to stop this. But not yet. That's exactly what you said this morning, but not yet. I have more time. Guess what? Time ran out for Aiken. I mean, isn't it crazy he didn't come forward? How much of a grip do we let sin have on our lives? I mean, they say his tribe, they say his clan, they say his family. He still doesn't come forward. Some of us, we do the same thing. The years go by in our life. They're narrowing in, and they are getting fewer and fewer, you know that someday you are going to meet the judge. It could be today, by the way, because we don't know. You're going to meet him, and judgment will come down. And it's either going to come down on you, or it's going to come down on Jesus. And Jesus has said, I love you so much, let it come on me. And some of you are going, ah, but there's still time. So right now, I'm going to hold on to my sin. Please, please. Jesus loves you. He wants to pay for your sin. He wants to be the leader of your life. Would you just let him forgive you? Would you let him lead you? He is gentle. He is kind. He is here in this room right now. And he wants you to surrender to him to be the leader of your life. And if you've never done that before, he can forgive you right now, today. And come in and change your life. All it takes is you saying, God, it's me. It was me. I sinned, but I believe you died. Forgive me, God. And he will. So let's do this. Let's just, everybody, would you just close your eyes just for a minute and maybe bow your head? If that's you, and you need to be forgiven, you've never done this before, but you just, you need to confess to God that you've sinned, and you need Jesus to die in your place. You need to make him the leader of your life so you can know him you can have eternal life with him. If that's you and you need that this morning, as a way to just say, yeah, God, it's me. Forgive me. Would you, kind of like I was just explaining, would you just raise your hand up and say, it's me. Forgive me. Come into my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up high right now and say, yeah, it's me, God. Forgive me. All right, Amen. Anyone else here in this room where you just, you need that? They're saying, it's me, God, forgive me. I need your forgiveness. Yes, amen. Anyone else? You just got to surrender it to him. All right. Anyone else? We don't have forever. All right. Okay. For those of you that raised your hand this morning, what I want to do is I want to pray with you. The Bible says when you get to this really important moment of surrender in your life, 
that we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths. And so I'm just going to pray out loud. And what I want is I want you to just repeat this prayer out loud from your heart after me, whether you just raise your hand or even if you believe this for a long time, you can join in with them. So just repeat after me. Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen. Amen. You can open your eyes. Uh, for the couple of you that raised your hand uh, here and here, uh, we're going to end the service now. Everyone else, I'm just going to pray. We'll go out. But for those of you that raised your hand, what I want you to do as people go out, I'm just going to stand right down here. Would the two of you come just meet me uh, right up here? And for just a couple minutes, I'll give you some really important next steps. So when you say, I surrender, well, I surrender to what? What's, what's next? And I just want to help you through that, okay? So that's really, really huge. So please do that right after the service. Everyone else, let me just pray and thank, thank the Lord. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this place, what you did in Africa the last couple of weeks. Uh, we, we just thank you for your word, even when it's really hard and intense, that, Lord, you use it to free people, you use it to challenge us, and you guide us closer to you. We're just so thankful for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I'll be right down here.